Okay, so anyone who saw last week's episode knows that George scared me when he walked in the door. So my plan is today, serve some fresh revenge. I'm gonna wait just outside my flat and when he turns up, I'm gonna scare him and we'll cut to his reaction. Okay, I'm gonna hide in this bush until he comes. scared me yeah i was very disappointed but you promised me food twice okay redeemed but that food is on its way double food you know about the first food just gonna have a falafel wrap yep and then we're gonna do some dessert which is a viral thing i that found on tiktok and i was like i was literally on my phone like this going oh no the, the chin that would be fun the chin look <laughs> maybe i can't do <laughs> that, that for my podcast yeah. um falafel wrap from basta falafel and grill if you're oh, ever yeah. in the Camden Stables market, yes. gotta check it out. Okay. Really good falafel. You know, everyone says, sorry, everyone says they have a good falafel place mm -hmm. because it's just the falafel place that's near them. And you could very well say that, James, this is just the falafel place <laughs> near you. But I think I am, you know, a, a, more than an more than an authority on falafel to speak really? very convincingly I've about Basta falafel. I've never ever said Oh, I know a you know, good you know about falafel place. <laughs> yeah. I've never said, I have a falafel place. I've never heard you say, oh, I, I, I No one's know. gone, but hang on, are you an authority? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're lucky because uh, normally mm. to sit down with me for, for food before dinner, when I haven't eaten, I'm so lucky is a danger. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I mean is, this is usually the danger zone. It's like, if it's pre-dinner and I'm hungry. You're, you're really... George on an empty stomach. I wouldn't dare hang out with you without dare knowing where me. food is coming from. Like it's not that it's not that you can't not eat. You just Feed you me. need to know it's coming. Yeah, I, I I I am, and I'm one of those awful people that like if I'm really hungry in a restaurant, I'm not really listening. I'm looking for the yeah. wait. I'm looking at the waiters, thinking, is that our food? Is that our food? You know, I hey, do that. I, I'm 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 a human being. I'm an animal. I I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm dictated by my stomach. More evidence Sue that me. you're just a horrifying Neanderthal who's impulsive. When people violent. look at me, they do think that guy's primal. That <laughs> yeah. that guy. Is a guy who's lost control. <laughs> this guy with a mustard corduroy shirt done all the way up to the top is just—he's gonna kill this me. London urbanite. Which I—that's what, yeah. what you were so worried when I scared you because you didn't know what would come out from you. you yeah, you, were, you know what the beast you were. The like. last time that happened, I had to you know change my name. But I am a London urbanite now because I've officially moved back Congratulations. to the city at long. Long and God bless mass. you for the last six episodes that we've done. You've been commuting court all the way back home outside of London. So yes. now you're in. And now I'm in. <laughs> I was about to say where you were in London. <laughs> Don't tell them where I live, James. At 34, now, now I'm back in. And I'm really enjoying living it. Oh, that's true. If we say so, I'll just bleep it. I'd love to. I've never bleeped something. Are you going to have like the black bar appear above my mouth? Yeah, well, and then the like video. at asterisk exclamation mark. Like, <laughs> Are you going to pixelate my face? Yeah. Like, oh, this week on I'm, I'm going to send it to Taiwan to do After Effects and just completely... <laughs> is that what they do? Oh, sometimes, you know, there are like specific post studios that... This is like for movies. Uh, you, yeah. you outsource. There are so, for so many digital shots, you would outsource it to many different production houses. You know when you watch a big special effects film and the credits are 30 minutes long? 
Yeah. That's because you need to credit every single person at every single company that ever worked on that thing when every single shot of like the Hulk smashing so, a bus was, was out. So if you leant over someone's desk and said, I think you might just want to change that bit, you get a credit. And, and yeah. if you've even breathed on a monitor that had an image of yeah. the Hulk on it, you get a credit. You're on. If you like accidentally moved a file into the wrong folder <laughs> and had to like have a meeting about it, you're on the credits. <laughs> file movie. Yeah. File move up. Yeah. Fuck, I fucked that. And then they got like four units of production because you can't shoot it with one unit. It's a whole thing. Units, huh? Units. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I said this the other day when we were at the cinema. Isn't it weird that a unit production manager always gets the top billing? Uh, uh, apart from the actors yeah. that appear while the film's still rolling. You know, like, well, the first time the credits go black and you go into the, like, long text credits, it's unit production manager, someone mm. you've never heard of, then directed by Taika Waititi. No, um, no, that's not true in films. I in see it all TV the time shows. Well, I tell you what, ah, no, no, I tell you what it is. It's because there are so many politics around the way you credit people, which mm. I always find interesting. You know, you and I have had a conversation about how uh, I, I, I'm obsessed with the, the ands and the withs in terms of mm. who's credited on a poster. But in regard to this, I have seen it where uh, if, the, if they've already had a type of credit sequence at the beginning of the film, you know, some films don't have a title sequence and some films do. Yeah. Then when it gets the credits at the end, it will Starring go straight Jeff to... Jeff Daniels. But I, or, or rather, let's say, say it's a big Marvel film. Yeah. The end credits will be, you know, they have They'll really have heavily a, animated, animated design. Sequence. And that has the normal directed by and then it has the, all the cuts. Yes. And then it, when it cuts to the normal credits of white text on black background. Are they still there again? Then it begin, no, no, begin, then it's unit production manager. Ah, I see. So it's like the stars and let's get into the production stuff. What does a unit production manager entail? And this is why I asked, because I know what production managers do, mm. but they still wouldn't, in my eyes, get the top bill. It would always be director, producer, cast. So, you know, like, like production managers are, I don't want to take away from any production managers out there, but they essentially like organize shoots, book cabs, book hotel rooms. I think they're quite integral. Hugely integral. Uh, a good, a, a bad production manager will kill yeah. any production. But that's really clearly what this, their, their hierarchy on the on the credit list is is showing. That they they you know everyone knows it's like you got to put that guy. Up or there the production manager just had access to the Excel spreadsheet and shifts their name <laughs> up to the top every time because they have access to everything. Yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah. they they see everything. You know, they if you they they I had a conversation once with someone. And they were like trying to uh, not that I want to pit film roles against other film roles yeah but they were like the two most in their opinions this I'm, this is just in films just passing out they said the two most important roles and in, if you to the success of a film is the assistant director yes and the editor because they're like sure. the assistant director i think when they were talking about assistant director they meant like um also like second unit director who can go off and shoot the stuff that the first unit director is busy doing mm. with the, the cast and things so for those who don't know, that, that's what I mean. Um, the second unit director Huge. shoots the sort of the B-roll, the supplementary footage, the or the things that the director can't. If you've got a you know a tight schedule to mm. shoot on, for example, if you were shooting Fast and the Furious, yep. you would have the close-ups of Vin Diesel in the car, shot by first unit. But yep. then like the aerial shots of the cars going through San Francisco, yeah, second unit. Yeah, it's it's just as important. It needs to be done. But for the actual key creative, yeah. Thing, that's that's first and thing. i guess all those yeah that's so that's that's really important mm. and then the editor is important because really when you think about it an editor makes the film there's that phrase of like a film comes alive in the edit room yeah. otherwise a film is just an eight hour collection of raw footage 
it's the editor who puts that to music. It just puts it, it makes it sing and hum. Directors that really carefully choose their editor as well for the specific requirements of the job is huge. I think we, we talked about this a few episode, episodes mm. ago, but Star Wars famously was saved in the edit mm. both times, prequels and. I don't, think, I don't think they saved the prequels. No, no, so <laughs> apparently that is the oh, yes. saved version of right. the prequels. Oh, God. So what we got, there's a, there's a really famous and brilliant clip of when George Lucas screens an early cut of The Phantom Menace to some people. Sorry, there are fireworks going on. Uh, he screens an early cut of The Phantom Menace to some people. And they're all just there like, oh, yeah, I mean, we can cut it down a bit. Uh, and the reaction is so I didn't realise that Cousin Greg from Succession yeah. worked on the yeah. prequels. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I just uh, think I should lawyer up, you know, because like... Um, uh, you know, George, I, I, I like Star Wars, but but he, again... He should be in every crisis meeting. I hope, uh, you, I hope there's a Greg in the cabinet. Just, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so Brexit is... Uh, we're working on it, uh, but we don't know how to exactly work on it. Uh. <laughs> but back to editors, you're right. Like directors have their own favorites. You know, like like Mark Scorsese has worked with Thelma Schumacher for uh, forty years, mm. and and uh, it's a relationship uh, you don't. Who's Chris Nolan's editor? I I can't remember. Isn't it, he, he switched up with someone for Tenet because of the specific requirements that oh. I think I, I have. A, was it either the same? I think he switched to Tenet, or was it the same for Dunkirk and Tenet because they both splice different parts of time, um, which I can't even imagine. No, trying to do that edit. The editing I do, like very sort of X Factor VT <laughs> style. <laughs> that was like the pinnacle of the kind of stuff I yeah, do. Yeah. That's like what I would call it. Um, yeah, I can't even imagine like trying to a draw that out on a piece of paper and find the shots. Yeah, to, yeah, mental. Yeah, no. So, but the point being that they but have they these close. As well. yeah, but different directors storyboard in different ways, don't they? Mm. Some some directors storyboard it. I think the Coen brothers storyboard like everything, mm. and then some people are just like, no, we'll just storyboard this particular scene because it's very, yeah, uh, you know. Um, I bet like Nolan storyboards look like a double helix structure. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't write them down in a row <laughs> this wouldn't work. he, he uh, invites you over to look at his storyboards and it's it's on the floor it's on the ceiling yeah. it's on the walls <laughs> yeah. it's just like i've just covered everything uh, i've heard that you know the more you get into very expensive film territory the less it's a case of we're just gonna turn up and see what happens and make it up as we go along the more it's like no no today we are getting these oh, yeah. three shots oh, yeah. or more or we're doing these two of this scene we're gonna get these four shots yeah. And that's it because with that many people on set and that many personalities, you are burning money. But that's it. At that, at that, at that height, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an industrial machine. So if you're a producer, you want to give money to a film, you're like, I want to make sure it, it, that when I make this film, that every second is accountable. It's an yeah. assembly line. It's a, the Ford production line. I've heard David Fincher famously likes to do loads of takes. Yeah, like he, he says, well, we're in the room. We've made the set. Everyone's here. Let's go for it. I think Ben Affleck was talking about doing Gone Girl. And he was like, I was a bit worried at first because it was like, oh, it was take 77. Are we, are we not are we not got the shot yeah. and he's like well we're here what yeah. if it's the what if the best one is take 56 uh, it's different philosophy yeah but then i know someone like clint eastwood i don't know someone like clint yeah. eastwood just <laughs> I, what i meant to say is i've heard a, a different opinion about someone like clint eastwood who yes. like gets one we're done yeah we're done that's it yeah. gets it gets one again not might not even get an insurance take. you see matt david talk about yeah, that that's yeah. What I mean. yeah, <laughs> yeah he's yeah, like yeah. you want to waste everybody's time yeah okay that's how we're doing <laughs> yeah. it okay um, but you know, talking about um, just talking about David Fincher though, like it reminds me. I started. I, I, I've told you about the show before, Mindhunter last mm, year. Yeah, a really fantastic show on Netflix um, that started in 2017 about um, the 
original FBI team that um, profiled serial killers. Basically, they were the people that came up with the term serial killer. That, yes. That term we're so saying. familiar with. That, that in this series, that, that term does not exist. That, that knowledge of how people operate and that like, level of psychology. It's a very interesting show, very dark, but directed by David Fincher, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. The whole way through. I don't know. Uh, most of, of it is. And he, yeah. and he, but I think he show runs it and he's incredibly involved in the production. Kind of like how he did House of Cards. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, although he, that wasn't show run by David Fincher. That was show run by Bo Willimon, actually. But yes. I digress. Sure. But the, 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 thing, the reason I'm bringing up Mindhunter is that that was a really strange situation where they had two seasons of that show and it was really mm -hmm. great. And then I finished it last year. I was like, when's season three coming? Because, yeah. you know, the story continues. And David Fincher was like, I think we're just not going to do it. And is it like, halfway through the story? Yeah, the story, the, 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 the story is still to be done. And he said, it's just really hard work. Basically, <laughs> to paraphrase him, he said, it's just... Um, excuse me? Yeah, and he's like, it's just really difficult to do it. And he's like, maybe in five years, but no plans at the moment. And he went off and made Mank. And I was like... Hang on a minute. I've, I've, I've heard of great shows being cancelled. I've heard yeah. of, you know, uh, and great shows falling apart. But this this is like, you've got our attention. You went to the trouble of making two seasons there. And then you've gone, oh, you know what? I think, I think it's quite humbling for, for, you, for everyone just to remember, like, you're not entitled to the next season of oh, anything. Yeah. yeah. If, if, like, you take a show in the middle of its hype, like, succession, if everyone was just like, yeah, we're just going to call like, It's a lot of work, and we just yeah. want to move on to other projects. <laughs> I'd lose my mind. But yeah. in what way can I be like, make, make the show but, but we just finished things because it would be nice if no, it finished but there is a point to it it's like it's like in that level of trust it's like you're yeah. you're like let's take it from your the truck is with netflix right your your, your issue is with netflix because you're thinking you're gonna keep promoting things to me how can i trust you anymore yeah the truck it's the trust you break it's like it's like starting make to make a whole lasagna you make the ragu <laughs> and the bechamel yeah. and you lay it and you just go Nah, should we yeah. leave it? It's like, what do you mean? What do yeah. you leave it? We got, we got everything for lasagna. <laughs> but also, like, Mindhunter is not an it's easy. Like how you explain a concept to like an Italian American? <laughs> what are you talking about? We got the lasagna. But Mindhunter is is a you know, it, I, as much as I loved it, it's also quite a heavy, intense, dark watch, right? Like, so sure. it's not like I was like, oh, well, that was at least a bit of fun. And I was like, no, I saw <laughs> things and had to experience things through that. That you want a bit of know. closure. Anyway, uh, watch it. But what what a random scenario to be in. I was, I was having, you know, since we saw June, I was having a couple oh, yeah. of conversations, passing, very passing conversations with people who'd also seen it. And one thing I thought about was how I never really, you know, looked into the fact that the main character played by Timothy Chalamet is called Paul, which yeah, I think I is just such a normal yeah. name. Yeah. I and mean, like, you've got Atreides, Sarkin, yeah. and all, Harkonnen, which yeah. all sound like Greek, epic. Yeah. Uh, Paul. Paul. I, mean, like, I put that in the character, in like the same category as names like Gavin and Craig. Ian. <laughs> Ian, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keith. You've got these amazing landscapes. Yeah. Paul, come over. You know, no disrespect to any Pauls, but, no disrespect but it, Pauls. Does, it does seem a little bit every day for when for the, the other names out there are quite are quite big. What were some of the other characters' names? Like, uh, well, uh, they, uh, the most distracting one in Dune was a guy called Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's not a real name. He's played by um, Jason Momoa's Jason character. Momoa. I was like, that's a, that's a, that's a cowboy's name. Yeah. That, that's like if you um, were to do like a budget knockoff of Johnny Utah, which is the guy's name, Keanu's yeah. name in Point Break. It's like, ah, oh, he's not Johnny Utah, he's Duncan Idaho. Right? It's he's like he went on a, a name generator online. Yeah. It's like, I can't think of any more goddamn names. Yeah. I'm not Tolkien, just give me some of the, D Duncan Idaho, yeah, that yeah. works. But and also Idaho is so distracting because you're like, I'm in space, I'm in like a thousand years, 10,000 years in the future. And someone says Idaho, I'm like, the state in America. <laughs> yeah. It is is America state. still a thing in the 10,000, yeah, 10,191? I don't know. I get confused when science fiction things refer to like like in Star Wars do they ever refer to themselves as humans 
I think they might have Ooh. done once. They might have said, oh, we're humans. And I'm like, no one's ever said the word yeah. human before. It's like in a zombie film when they've ne- when zombies never existed or in a comic book film oh. when comic books don't exist. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know what I wish Marvel would do more of? Well done for outing yourself. It's just the <laughs> prime nerd. Yeah, 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 it's like in a zombie oh, film or a yeah, comic book. Never exist. No, no one's ever been like, oh my God, we're actually having a zombie apocalypse. But yeah. I wish in Marvel someone would just be like, is no one else freaking out that there are superheroes and we yeah. could be invaded by aliens at any moment? You know like what? you cut yeah. to Avengers seven and everyone's still walking around New York like oh I'm just getting my coffee yeah yeah I know I mean if you think about the level of destruction in the first Avengers where like buildings are like destroyed and don't give like, me the Sokovia Wars bullshit like there would uh, be real yeah, unrest and like, panic the whole of New York would be like a ghost town like it's just deserted full of oh, you've got, I can't do this anymore I don't yeah. know who's gonna come in yeah loads of traumatic people will probably start weird conspiracy theories probably get quite yeah, ugly you get cults you know that's that's the did you ever see um, we are just jumping around we're like just jumping God, ladies and gentlemen strap in <laughs> this is what happens when we're hungry Hungry. Yeah. Um, uh, did you ever this see? We haven't seen a film this way. <laughs> yeah. Talk. Just yeah. keep talking. Did you ever see uh, the TV series they did mm. recently of Watchmen? No, but right. I remember you saying it was really worth. Yeah, it. yeah, that was so interesting. So Watchmen. It's one of those things that I look at and I'm like, I, I don't have a. It's got nothing to hook me in. Right. Okay. I, I, I believe you. But the but so Watchmen just a you know that was a graphic novel that was written in I think the late 80s and it was all sort of about grown up and it, and, and it was it was about superheroes but it was grounded very much in the context of the Cold War and it was very much its own beast. Didn't really relate to DC or or Marvel and uh, anyway they they made a film about 10 years ago with Zack Snyder which was pretty ropey. Mm. And then they completely reimagined it. And it was a really interesting study in how you reimagine an existing text in a new way that both keeps the original story and moves on from it. And the whole point in that is um, there's been this massive... So in the original Watchmen graphic novel, Mm. there is this huge event that happens in New York, uh, a bit like the Avengers thing. But they actually deal with the consequences of that in this show. So it's like 30 years later, there's like survivors groups still meeting up and there's people still haunted by this thing that happened. And it's like yeah. taking this really quite silly, like science fiction thing that happens and be like, no, no, we're going to give it like the full thing it deserves. Like people are having like PTSD and you know, support groups. Um, yeah. I want to see the brink of humanity. You, yeah. you say that we say that people wouldn't react but we get some really weird news in our own lives like we've oh, seen yeah. like the aliens coming you know like that 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 un, that unreleased pentagon video with oh, the yeah. thing like the, like the aliens are very much here i believe like get your silver hat on really? but we're all just kind of getting a coffee and going to work in the morning anyway so well because you. really unless as we as anyone who's like worked in a job uh, with any sort of basic task will tell you to- nothing happens until there's a crunch no. So, like, so you can have the most important things on your plate, but until there's like, until you, there's a gun to your face, you're yeah. not you're not going to do anything. So you can say there's aliens here, but unless there's like one in front of me, on my desk by five, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to carry on and get my yeah. flat white. That that boss man is often vilified in in culture and film, but he is doing God's work. He's getting stuff done. The, yeah. the guy who puts the papers on the thing, yeah. Johnson. That always reminds <laughs> the me. The boss of... in the Matrix. That's that's that guy. Is that is that? Uh, I hope you enjoyed that message. Yeah, um, uh, is there a boss in the major? You know, like the very beginning when he's like, um, "Mr. Anderson, you clearly have a problem with authority. Oh, yeah. You relate to your yeah. work," and he's like, "He's just the man. He I is the capitalist man." Like in, which is expertly skewered in Office Space. You seen Office Space? No. Oh, Office Space is like, you know what? Office Space and The Matrix have a lot in common because yeah. they both came out in the same era. I think they both came out in 1999 and they're both critiques. This is the first part of The Matrix is, is critiques of that kind of like very drab office environment in your mm. cubicles. Like soulless, soulless, end of century kind of, um, and I think at the end of the- Gray. End of the 
last millennium, around like the 90s, you had like this kind of like bewilderment in a lot of people mm. because they were like, we're facing a new future now, we, a new millennium. What does that mean? And so there's- was, there, was there a big crash in the 90s? There were, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the early a 90s. Yeah, it was a byproduct of that, like that not being realized. Yeah, so there's a lot of soul searching and then, and that makes its way into films like The Matrix mm. and in Office Space in very different ways. But like, so in Office Space, it's that this guy works in a very gray, bland business park, but he gets hypnotized and um, to like enjoy his job. But the hypnotherapist has a heart attack and doesn't, and dies before he's able to like remove the hypnosis. Oh my God. So the guy like goes to work, and he has no qualms about working. He like, you know, smashes down the cubicles and it's just, it's quite funny. But in that there's this really, it's actually a meme. The guy with the glasses and he's got suspenders and he comes over with his coffee mug and leans on the cubicle thing and says, yeah, we're going to need that by Friday. That'll be great. If you yeah. could get those expense reports done for me by then, that'll be just great. Famous stock character. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, I was just saying that really, just expertly skewed yeah. in that film. I'm hungry. <laughs> It's coming. I think. I think we've been assigned a rider. My stomach hasn't rumbled, but it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like knocking on the door. I'm gonna hear it. I'm gonna hear the one of listening later. It'll just be like a water cooler. Going. <laughs> um, I got notification. Food has been delivered. No food. No bell. I'm starving. I'm starving. <laughs> James, the inside of my stomach has started to eat itself. This is, this is the last time we try and innovate the formula for the show. <laughs> no more innovation from here on in. Oh my god, I'm so hungry. I can't, I, and we can't even eat what you've prepared. George, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually also a food podcast. Okay, <laughs> and we're meant to have food. Look, em empty plates, <laughs> empty plates. Like it's like the beginning of Oliver. Yeah. <laughs> We got no food. I'm so sorry. All right, what can we choose? We haven't even cooked. No, and the only thing you've got prepped is so annoying. Something sweet you said, right? You yeah. hinted at. I'm so sorry. This is so boring. I literally, literally, just to catch up, we we've been waiting for 40 minutes for this. Uh, you know, it's not interesting. We waited 40 minutes. It didn't get delivered, and it said it did. I'm starving. George is starving. We meant to do this whole sequence where the food would come in the middle of the show. We thought it'd be really fun. We were gonna blow your mind. It was going to be really fun. I've got a whole dessert, which is now just... We, you know how late we, we're running? We're going to play the game still. We haven't even talked about a film. We've just waffled. Maybe we don't have to talk about the film this week. It's <laughs> cool. Straight, straight into, the, straight into the, the game. James, fucking order this then. <laughs> okay, here's the situation now. We've reordered some food which will be here in about 45 minutes time, so by which hungry. it'll be, you know, very late. The only thing we've got to sustain ourselves is some chocolate buttons and some Smarties. Um, uh, you, know, you know when you're so hungry when you eat something, you can feel it like falling into your stomach and clattering around? That's how I feel right now. I'm so, why are we doing a food podcast as well as films? It's too much. It's no, too it's, no, it's the sweet spot. I love it. It's a wonderful end to this lovely little podcast where we get together and talk about film and food. But well, there's only one God way. Damn it. There's only one way we can, we can pass the time until Imagine the food arrives. Imagine if you were going out back to where you used to live. We'd have to. Have, we'd have to have cancelled. We would have to have stopped. Be, yeah, we, we, we'd. Yeah. It's yeah. It's eight yeah, yeah, yeah. eight twenty. Which oh eight twenty. No, like you'd have. I, to, I usually would have left by now. We'd have to call whatever we've just done an episode. <laughs> whatever hot stinking mess. 
Okay, so this is the dessert. I was on TikTok and I saw this thing that you can do where you get two pieces of very soft white bread, you stick like cubes of chocolate in it, and Smarties, you smush them together, use a glass to like fold them, and then you put them in the toaster and you melt them and the chocolate comes out. That is good. <laughs> what an ordeal. Look, it's late. It's been hours. It's been hours. I think we've been here three days. Um, let's, uh, let's play a little game. Yep, let's do it. Take me home. All right. This game is a bit like your cameo game from a couple of weeks ago. Mm. In that I want to compare and contrast mm -hmm. the various ways sequels are made. The good sequels, the bad sequels, how to do it. And I'm just going to fire some sequels at you and want to get your thoughts. Okay? We created quite a good little, you know, set of guidelines, uh -huh. a ready-to-use pamphlet of, of ways to do the cameo. So. I, th I, I hear it's been circulated around mm -hmm. Hollywood as we speak. Mm -hmm. James and I, this, this <clears throat> came about because James and I had a conversation recently about Aliens, the sequel mm. to Alien. Yes. And uh, which Empire Magazine rates as the number one greatest sequel of all time. Oh. Um, I wouldn't normally go necessarily by what Empire says, but I would have to agree with them. I think it's a very good sequel. Pretty interesting, cool, yeah. So I'm going to fire some sequels at you, and I just want to get your opinion of how they work, do they work, what do you think, and if you yeah, seen let's them. open the floor. So from Aliens, James Cameron, he's the king of the sequel because, of course, Aliens, fantastic sequel to yeah. a previous film. What was his other amazing, fantastic expansion of a sequel onto an original film? Terminator Two, Terminator Judgment 2. Day. Thoughts, James? So weirdly, Terminator Two is one of those films I saw really young. I've only actually, as an adult, rewatched Terminator. Right. As like, you know, the classic yeah. and not bother the other ones. But I don't know Terminator too well. I acknowledge it is really good. And I remember being it being like fun and yeah. as a young kid, which as a young kid I retouched myself to, but like I don't know that one well at all. I need you to lead the way. How many this. times did you watch it when you were a child? Once. Are you joking? Yeah, yeah. I've only seen oh it once. Oh my God. That film was on hard rotation when I was a kid. Yeah. Sleepovers. I should, I'd love to rewatch it. I would just take myself off and watch a couple of scenes. Just but like the action. Almost similar to Aliens. It has a different pace and feel to it than Terminator 1 does. It is such a like celebration. It's almost like the blockbuster film at its like height. Yeah. The height of its powers. Expanding on the genre. This time and science and going through. the liquid metal of the... T2, just, yeah. the, he's not the T2, what's this called? The T, T100. T, no, T he's T8000, I think, the T1000's Arnie, oh whatever. God, yeah. But the liquid metal, that still feels really new, and it's quite sinister. I rewatched it at Christmas. And, and that, I, that moment, the twist moment, when you realise, like, in the middle, and the, the two of them aren't, you know, when, when you know, the, the evil one, the actually oh yeah. evil one. Yeah, because you're led to believe that, um, uh, although actually, no, you know, the audience member, you know that that isn't the bad Arnie. Oh, but John Connor... Again, doesn't know that, ah, so you've got right, conflicting yeah, yeah. things. And uh, yeah, I I'd had that on, on, on a list to rewatch. I like I'd sort of seen it so much when I was younger. I'd had that on a list to rewatch for ages and ages because I hadn't seen it in years. And last Christmas, bizarrely, <laughs> was the right time. I thought I need to rewatch Terminator yeah. Two, and I did. I had an absolute blast. I it's saw lovely. a great video about Terminator Two about the guy who plays the evil policeman T T unit, who, the evil. Oh one, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, and he, you know, in that film, he does loads of like sprinting after cars. Yeah. He had to teach himself how to run without opening his mouth, just breathing through his nose. <gasps> like he's full on sprinting, which is really hard to do. And he had to do all these vocal things because, you know, a robot wouldn't be panting out of breath. It wouldn't be ana oh anaerobically God, respiring. So you had to learn to sprint for hundreds of meters at a time. He, he really does run in there. He's yeah. very thin. He does this, like, He's very fit. You're just yeah. sprinting, not, not breathing through his mouth. Oh, my it's goodness. Crazy. And that's what I love, actually. That I just like the fact that he is disguised as a cop. That's the fun thing. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger looks like the old Terminator, the bad one from the previous yeah. one. He looks like a sort of rough guy that you'd want to stop on the street, but a, a policeman, a cop. Yeah. Say... 
That's a nice bike. He's just got. He's just in it like Robert Patrick is. And there's that fantastic chase sequence down the the aqueduct. You got to yeah. go watch the chase. Yeah, Great sequel. Right, moving on. The fight coming out from the fire explosion. Okay, uh, lots of sequ- the, the place that's given us a lot of sequels. Pixar. Okay, mm, Pixar yes. had that like first decade of amazing runs, right? Yes. And then and then they did a lot of things. Now, Finding Dory. Oh, oh dis- I think really disappointed. It was one of those sequels that. We waited a long time for Finding Nemo came out in what 2004, 2003, 2003, I 2003, and then we got Finding Dory in. Uh, Come on, George. T- Come t- on, 2016. Jesus, 2016. Jesus, sorry. Yeah, and no, I think you know, uh, it's not. I think that people are anticipating, like waiting every uh, night. When's Finding Finding Nemo two going to come out? Which is what we would have called it. But I just didn't find that it had the emotional hit on me at all. I think it's because no one really ever imagined that that would be the story like no, uh, I don't think no anyone finished finding be. Nemo thinking well I, bet, I wonder what they're going to do with it's that it's not that I thought that Nemo had to get lost again but I just don't really think I needed to ex- uh, Dory was a great side character yeah. I didn't need to know why she, I, tried, that's the thing, I can't even remember it that well because it's quite yeah. forgettable but I don't remember it being as funny as Finding Nemo finding no so I really funny. have Finding Nemo imp- so quotable as well yeah imp- imp- impressed on my brain the, the beats of that film I remember seeing that in the cinema and the shark yeah. the Bruce yeah. like, oh. hello Bruce. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. How about and the whole idea? Sorry, of doing the a load of fish inside a dentist's office. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Such a clever idea to capture that, and one of them's like really deep, voiced by William Defoe. Oh. <laughs> and, and also, I, I, I've you know, who, who thinks one of the who would have thought that one of the uh, the most quotable lines in that film is that mine. Mine, 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 still mine, to this day. Mine, the seagulls. Seal. Yeah. And I, I remember at school in assembly, you could start the whole school going, one person just, could just go, mine, <laughs> mine, mine, mine. And then you'd have a thousand people all in the hall. Teachers were going mental. Yeah. It was great. It was pure revolution. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, I'll just end up talking about how good Finding Nemo yeah, was. Yeah, we just don't have Exactly. Very forgettable. If I would say what you don't do is, I, I just don't think you should focus on characters that are quite good as secondary characters i just I, yeah Don't we didn't expect that, that would be needs to be happened very true okay similarly like i never saw it but monsters university yes yeah, so forgettable a, f- a, f- I, a prequel monsters inc is one of the most ingenious uh ideas and i think loads yeah. of scientists have come out and have said that is the most accurate representation of like multiple universes and wormholes working wow. in a 3d space they're like this is actually fairly conceivable with physics wow. as to how something like that could work, which is really cool. Like if it was a series of doors to loads of bedrooms that you could conceivably have wormholes to universes presented in such a way, wow. which is good. And I thought you should have just, cause there was all like the bureaucracy between like getting scares for power and energy yeah, yeah. and, and what it meant, but you could have done so much more with that again, with a sequel and not a prequel. Yeah. I never really wanted to see where Mike and Sully became friends. Yeah. I wanted to know what else could happen in that universe. Also, I'd love to take that yeah. same ingenuity and, and do more and also just apply what that, that ingenuity and just make it into what a frat house comedy set at yeah. university i don't i never i never wanted to know how they met each other what, what education they had and again we waited a really long time for it that came yeah. out what 2015 university? 2013 2013 university, and yeah. t- 2001 was monsters yeah. inc so 12 years i mean the, imagine seeing i seeing the age difference when i saw monsters inc i would have been seven <laughs> yeah. no eight and then when Monsters <laughs> University came out, I was twenty uh, nineteen. That is weird, 20, isn't it? Yeah. Like Incredibles is another one, wasn't it? Well, the one that's also very debatable. Did we need Toy Story Four? No. Toy but, Story Three was the perfect yeah. bow on I that story. I enjoyed Toy Story Four. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I, I thought I it was solid, solid, but it didn't need to exist, did it? 
it, it was, was a victory lap. Yeah, it was such a victory lap, such an unneeded epilogue onto an already really great story. They they did they did the long wait from two to three, and it, they played on the fact that everyone watching that film had grown up yeah. and forgotten about yeah. all of their toys. It was yeah. genius, and the moment when all the toys are holding hands in the furnace, uh, it just completely brilliant. broke me down. Uh. And then real and then you know then realizing that they get the chance to play again just completely melts your heart. Um, and and yeah, it was it was the, the the stakes of the story didn't matter to me. I hated Sporky as a as a central pull oh, for the I whole character. It, I just I didn't find him funny. I didn't find it. I was like I don't really want to be. F- they kept like the story. I realized the story was really going on him. I was like I don't want to follow you. Yeah, this, no, I, story. I I want to follow all my mates. You just yeah, like, all my mates. Yeah. Uh, you just you just taken me on such a huge ride about like all those characters and what they meant. And um, actually, when I think about the very very end of Toy Story Four, can I can I reveal it for everyone? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to talk about Spoilers the Spoilers for Toy Story 4. It's been out over two years. I think if you wanted to see, you would have seen it. Is that um, basically Woody stays behind and yeah. uh, with, with his some new friends he's made and everyone else goes on. And I'm saying that out loud now. I'm thinking about it. I don't like that ending. I want to I want to remember them how I remember them in Toy Story 3, which is that like in this sort of almost heaven-like yeah. situation. They've moved on to this afterlife. I assume that forever in time, <coughs> uh, they would be passed on to a child who wanted to play yeah. for them. Exactly. And there's that them. kind of thing in Toy Story 3 where it's like they might have died at the furnace and the whole thing with Bonnie is like the afterlife and they've just found their salvation. Yeah. Again, very cool idea about the uh, the children's play center being yeah. like, because we've all seen like those those buckets of toys where the doll's got eyes missing yeah. and it's dipped in glitter and glue. And it kind of reminded me of Sausage Party a bit. Oh, like God, that, that, yeah. that idea of like actually what happens here is not so good. But yeah, that, that was funny okay. in Toy Story 3. Another genre of sequel now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the belated comedy sequel okay okay yeah do you remember i i sometimes can't believe that this existed because I, I completely forgot about it mm. a zoolander 2 yeah zoolander 2 they made that oh, and again i couldn't i couldn't tell you what it was about i mean i i, I zoolander to, 1 I, I haven't actually seen zoolander 1 i, I, well, I saw one set sleepover in 2008 as we don't think it really counts. <laughs> oh 2008 that's Late for a sleep Zoolander sleepover. Okay. Late for a sleepover, you were saying. Get your real friends, George. Yeah, it's, you should have been watching, I don't know what, something else. <laughs> no, it was just like everyone was like, oh, yeah, Zoolander's great. I was like, never seen you it. You should have been watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> now that I have seen. Um, came out in 2008. Yeah, which did come out in 2008, yeah. Um, so Zoolander 2, though, I mean, that, and, and that's just not even, you don't hear anyone not even, mention. It's not now. quoted, it's yeah. not meant. Yeah, that's Slipped so true. Off the face Zoolander of the 1, I love, I'd actually love to see it again. So, again, like, Quotable to the ends of yeah. the earth. I see Man Command 2 is coming up. Well, my next one was going to be Man Command 2 because I actually have a real soft spot for Man Command 2. I, <laughs> Do I, I abuse you? <laughs> I defend Man Command 2. Touch my leg. <laughs> now tell me that doesn't feel like a cock. <laughs> this is what I mean. Man Command 2 shouldn't work and it doesn't no. really work, but... I've seen that probably about three, four times. And how come that? I can't believe that didn't come up in my cameo chat. The Anchorman. Oh, is it? Movie, yeah, yeah, it's like the all the cameos. Yeah. But the the the, the is so. I mean, and it, it's so messy that film. I'm actually but thinking about it. There are so many just funny lines. I just I, I saw it with a friend at the cinema. And we were like the only two people laughing. Oh yeah. And there's a... just so many th- random things. And Will Ferrell doing that shtick is funny. You like, know what I need to do? Watch it again because there'll be so many things I've missed. Yeah, there's a bit where he's talking to Greg Kinnear, who's like the stepfather to his son, and Greg Kinnear's being really nice, and Will Ferrell just goes, "I'm about this close to shooting a flare gun at your dick." <laughs> there's so many times where I go. I am blind. blind. Do you not see? 
<laughs> he does this. He does the the yeah. blind like vacant stare so well. He's like, <laughs> Can you not see that I do not do it? The the outtakes, <laughs> um, which, which you the thing you said about the uh, do I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's iconic. The those those uh, like and now some of the most famous comedy actors in the world yeah. trying to get through that scene where Will Ferrell is clearly just freestyling. Yeah being blind <laughs> sometimes i will quote adam mckay off screen in the in the bloopers where he like he's just riffing and he gets out like will ferrell's going through this thing and he does like basically just an impression of a chinese guy and there's just this silence on the set and you just hear adam mckay go good lord yeah, and sometimes yeah. i say that i just go good lord when he's doing the vocal warm up he's like cut the children it's been denied a bank and when uh Harrison Ford's like it's been eight years. He's fantastic. Harrison Ford is brilliant. Yeah, timing. And this oh, is so this doesn't even make it in the film, but he says like it's been eight years since I jumped out from behind that curtain, scared a window washer, so he fell to his death. <laughs> the state of him, and then Will Ferrell is just at the edge of the, the camera frame, but he's just like brimming with laughter, like streaming tears. Now I know what it was like for the poor villagers <laughs> in Pompeii. <laughs> Talk about rivers frothy. <laughs> Very good. Check it out. I, I will defend yeah. Anchorman 2. That's uh, the one film I say people have... Uh, that's winning the award so far of best sequel. Best belated sequel. Best belated sequel that um, yeah. shouldn't, shouldn't work, yeah. but actually does. But I, I'd, I'd put that Zoolander in a similar category, so if Anchorman can do it, Zoolander could have. And it didn't. Oh God, I, don't, I, I don't remember nothing about that. Exactly. Okay. Um, belated cult sequels now. Mm. Um T2 train spotting. Oh, I really liked T2 did you? train spotting. Yeah. I did. I did really like it. I remember us talking about it like four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, again, what I think T2 did well is it it enjoyed the fact that it had taken 20 years oh, yeah. from when it first had when when the first film came out. Mm. I, there's there's enormous amount of pressure for that film to do well. You're touching a film which is, as you say, like a cult film that's yeah. incredibly beloved. But I thought what made that work was the fact that, as I just said, it played on the fact it was older. Edinburgh had completely changed. The world had mm. completely changed, and therefore it made sense for a lot of the characters to have completely changed. Yeah. Like, there's, there's one of my like, favorite scenes where I think defines what T2 is, is he comes into Edinburgh, and he's like, someone's like, welcome to Edinburgh. And he's like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? But like, Ed Edinburgh has been gentrified, and culture has completely yeah. changed from the 90s, and it would have been wrong to try and recreate what train spotting was and putting it back in that time frame. Um, and I thought it was it was funny in the ways that train spotting was. There was stakes in a sense, in a sense yeah. of like, I really just, I, I sort of still cared about these characters wanted to like see where they ended up and it worked and the way they played on nostalgia used that amazing born slippy tune oh. echoing throughout a hum and yeah. i think i think you know whether or not that's the track for you but there are so many songs that you could just hear yeah. and the way they use that to take you back to a time where maybe yeah. you saw the first train spotting i think i thought worked really well yeah i think the way that film shoots memory and captures yeah. like being middle-aged and uh, not that i can speak to that but no. the, but nostalgia the way that film captures nostalgia is a really interesting exercise i have to say probably the first two-thirds of that film i find the most interesting how it like explores that and engages with that i do think for me that like there were a couple of scenes and progressively more towards the end just increasing generic territory it kind yeah. of becomes quite it becomes a bit like the dad joke to the really cool hip sure uh, yeah there is no bad version and also the weird thing but I then what if it what if it had tried to be too cool though would that have been wrong no i no i know it had to go somewhere but well look i see what you mean though the thing is about train spotting 2 as well that i find quite odd is that w when you watch train spotting 1 
it isn't really about the four of them. It is just about Renton. You do not spend a lot of time with Begbie and Sick Boy sure. and Spud. Spud's probably in it the most out of the, out of the second most out of the. They, can't, they the kind four of them. represent an idea of a generation, though. Don't yeah, they? but sure. But like when you come into T two, like they really lean heavily on on Sick Boy and, sure. and, and all of them. And I'm like, actually, this film keeps telling me that I know these people or I knew these people well. Yeah. Twenty two years ago, but actually, I I don't know you guys that well. Begbie really just comes into the train spotting one like four times to be the, the crazy psycho guy. Yeah. So um I, I liked it. I mean, you know, I I I I think it's an interesting ex- I don't I recently showed someone train spotting and uh they were like that's great and they were like um yeah train train spotting one they're like oh should I watch the sequel and I was like I don't think you need in to in 20 years. Yeah. You know yeah. what? Maybe that's it. Maybe watch it when you get to middle it age. Would, it would, I, yeah, and I think it would not have the same effect if you watch them one after the other. Yeah, I, think, I don't I think, think so. Really they need to exist in the time. In, exist in, in culture. Oh, that's an interesting one. Like, what films need to have existed in time to be appreciated? Well, I mean, it's a whole other day. That's a whole other debate. But yeah. Okay, next one. Other cult sequels. Are, are these all like uh, belated? No, not all of them. Some of them. Are a belated. lot of them are. You know, we're discussing the. Well, gap. some of the most b- yeah. interesting sequels are belated because yeah, otherwise, sure. you know, the things that see the sequels that come two years after have been pre-planned, unless it's like Dune, as we talked about last yeah. week. But um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Ah. Yeah, as I said last week when I was talking about June, really enjoyed Blade Runner 2049. Could very in the same way that a lot of these sequels could have really botched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I echo my sentiment of T2. Blade Runner 2049 really felt like Blade Runner. From the moment it started, I, I had this little sigh of relief and I went, oh yes, they, it is, they are doing Blade Runner. It didn't feel like they were yeah. copying and like really just trying to imitate what Blade Runner was and what it meant. It, it immediately felt present in that universe um as i as i said last week like a real masterpiece of show don't tell let your audience figure figure that out acting performance is really good some of the it's probably one of the best looking films i've seen Mm. set in this century i genuinely adored the look of that film i wish i'd seen it in imax but didn't at the time yeah i I agree i've been dying to watch revisit it i would 100 percent go and see if it got if it ever got re-released in imax let's keep that maybe one for another future yeah i'd love to um and yeah just the 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 fact that what what fit what actual events or whatever alterations incur towards the last act aren't the most important part of that movie. The most important thing that you take away are the questions you ask yourself when your credits are rolling and all the ideas that start running into your head. And it, it's what it's what I think Nolan's films do best is when you're asking questions about what happened in that movie afterwards. And that's why I really like Blade Runner 2049. Oh, well, expertly summed up there. Like 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 a like a GCSE question rather. Yeah. And that is why I really like this credit. Can I say and discuss? I am... Um, I, I, you know, I, I liked Blade Runner 20, 2049. I think, I think the only thing I have to say about it is that, you know, last week with Dune, I talked about how it was that oppressive Heavy. tonality that yeah. I found a little bit. I definitely had that with Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And I think when I think about it compared to the first one is that the original Blade Runner, for all of its, you know, uto- you know rain and darkness and heaviness, sorry, it wasn't heavy, for all of its rain and, you know, urbanity and stuff, it, it did genuinely feel like, there was something light about it. So it felt like a ballet. It felt like a dance. It's something. There's something for with that um, Vangelis score. It just. It just felt. There's something very. You know, when that saxophone comes in, light and and wistful about it. Whereas I felt very heavy under Blade Runner 2049. I felt like the, the 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 bowels and the movement of this like machinery. Do you think it's literally feeling the weight of its of, it, of the first film on top of yeah, it? It just could literally to make sure be. It, it could know, literally please, be. Please take me seriously. Please think I'm artistic. But there's something you know magical and mystical about Blade Runner. The original, yeah. and then Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I don't know. 
That's not. It's, it's, it's not one. It's, it's not one I go. I jump on the sofa and go. Let's rewatch. But it it like it's heavy to watch. It hangs heavy in my soul. Oh, I like it. Okay. Last of all. Yep. Want to finish? An entire franchise made up of sequels. Yes. Mission Impossible. Oh my God! Yeah, wh- wh- where do you want to start? Well, two, the, the, two, the, the, I know the least. Well, two is an interesting one. You have to go through. See, because they're all so each different. sequel is di- di- different and a bit like the Fast and Furious franchise. It wasn't until like film four that they like re- reboot it going, and commit yeah. to a certain vision. So the original Mission Impossible in 1996, I think, or 1995. Brian De Palma, we all know it, you know, the hanging in the room kind of stuff. I- iconic. Iconic. Espionage. But actually spy. quite, quite talky, yeah. quite, quite uh, minimal, quite stripped back. Kid in another universe could very easily have existed as this is this standalone Tom Cruise movie. Do you remember Mission yeah. Impossible? It could never have had the yeah. success. And you've gone, yeah, it's almost, 90s I, film. I think by today's standards, it's very televisual. It's like, that's yeah. like a pilot for, for a film in terms of the scale of it. Mission Impossible 2 is like crazy. It goes the other way. It's a who, who directed that? Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Uh, uh, John Woo, I want to say. Yeah, John Woo. Um, you know, with the, the flying doves and the and there's yes. lots of slow motion on the bike and the dual wielding. I, so I know that iconic opening where he's hanging, H- hanging on the, the clips rock, yeah. because he really is hanging. And I know all about the masks and I've seen it so many years ago. But I, 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 I kind of would want to watch it purely for the sake of being able to reference it in pop culture, yeah. but I don't really know how much enjoyment I'd get out of it by rewatching it today. I think, I mo- all the masks I think most people look back at Mission Impossible 2 and think, think actually that was the one that was the most like out of out of the whole series. It's the like the off-brand one. Yeah, doesn't actually quite work because then you get Mission Impossible 3, three. which I it's one of my personal people favorites. Don't like it. You're joking. I speak to so many people like oh three, and I'm like, have you seen the opening scene of Mission Impossible three? With Philip Seymour Hoffman, the excellent female. Did- the countdown just yeah. like you start with there's an electrical charge in your head <laughs> opening line and then you know what's brilliant about that scene i could i could talk about the opening okay if you haven't seen mission impossible 3 the opening of that scene it's set in media res you're clearly in the middle of the story and it, it's just before the title sequence when they're and it's this sequence where John, tom cruise is sitting opposite his wife who is tied up and gagged yeah. and the villain seat philip seymour hoffman has, is asking him where the MacGuffin is, where's the rabbit's foot? Where's the rabbit's foot? And Ethan? he says, I'm going to count to 10. And he's holding a gun to his yeah. wife's head. And he goes, one, two. And he keeps escalating it. And every single second that Philip Seymour Hoffman says to Tom Cruise, he tries a different tack. The first yeah. he's like, what, he's confused. One, two. Next time he's like, okay, okay, just everyone relax. We yeah. figure this out. Three, he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to help you. He's like, it's not that you're not going to help me. Four. And there's one moment where he goes seven. He's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And then he shoots his wife in the knee. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, do you think I'm playing? Yeah. Do you think I'm playing? And Tom Cruise is like, you son of a bitch, God damn it. And he's like, where is it? Seven, seven. And he's like, eight. And he's like, I swear to God, you son of a bitch. It's like, nine. And then boom. 10, Mission yeah. Impossible, yeah. opening sequence. Yeah. You've just seen his yeah. wife get shot. And now you watch the whole first half of the movie with him and his wife, knowing what you know. And uh, I think in two minutes that that scene lasts, yeah. your heart yeah. is at 150 BPM. Yeah. And I thought it was fantastic. And I was in from that moment. I, I agree with you. I, I, I saw that at the cinema when I was 13, had a blast. I don't think, this is why people have, I think people are unfair. I don't think you would have been able to achieve it, it set the tone for the the, con- the 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 Mission Impossible films we've had after that. They feel more like a cohesive it, it, thing. It after was that. much more like a reset. It was like, okay, this is actually going to be set in the real world. This is like, okay, directed by JJ. JJ, yes. uh, and I loved it. And you got yeah, Billy Crudup turns up in it, and and Philip Seymour Hoffman is like, what? Well, he's not your typical 
a Mission Impossible villain. No, he's schlubby. Like Do you remember the bit in the bathroom when he's when well, it's Tom Cruise as Philip Seymour Hoffman and he's coughing and he's like because <laughs> he's waiting for the voice box to work. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like go. And he's like go get up. And that's uh, but, but yeah. still you say that like not not an obvious villain choice but so no. menacing, quiet and stare. God, I want to rewatch me. Oh go we yeah. Oh, that's gonna be a Christmas one for me. And then in Mission Impossible Four, which yeah. is like okay now we're in, into the we have a clear vision. This I, is the Christopher McQuarrie director one I think yep. with um, uh, first introduction of Jeremy Renner. Yes. Yep. Um because there was talk cuz like is he going to replace Tom Cruise? Yeah. Oh, he's going to replace Jason Bourne, remember that? Oh yeah, of course Bourne yeah. legacy. Um 4 4 I think is good. I yep. Ghost I, Protocol, I like 4. Yep. It was a really good TV film. Oh, it's on the TV. Yeah, I could do plane a Mission Impossible. It's a great plane movie. Um I think that is where I I think I saw that on a plane or a bus. <laughs> What kind of fancy bus? Oh, you like you just watched it. It's in South America, actually. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Oh, like on the bus drop-down screen. Yeah. Like like on the school trip yeah. to yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah, that is that's a that's yeah. a whole other cinematic experience I, I, for you to discuss. I, I, people not no one asks this anymore, but if people ask me have I seen the film Ted, <laughs> I have, but in, <laughs> in complete Spanish. <laughs> I just watched it and I got it. And it was just all in Spanish. Right, yeah, yeah. You got every single comedy beat. Do, do you remember when planes used to not have individual TVs and a, a uh, CRT used to, or from Row yeah, Run, absolute run would just drop dark down. Dark Ages. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's film will be yeah. a... Uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 uh, Days. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Oh, it's the sound of music. And that was on. If you were yeah. within 10 rows, maybe you could yeah. see it. If you were in row 18, good you luck. Needed, you needed to have those little binoculars that you at the theatre. You yeah. put the coins in. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, You're just squinting at this little centimetre pixel away from you. You. Okay, then they upped the ante again with Rogue Nation, Rogue Nation. Five, which they brought back Jeremy Renner. Hey, yeah. okay, uh, introducing Alec Baldwin, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah, I loved, you know, like a bit of Alec Baldwin. Also, that's when they really started to establish that these films were actually, um, all, had all existed yeah. in the same world because there's a reference to the first film in Mission yeah. Impossible 5, and it begins with them referencing what happened at the end of Mission Impossible 4. Also, as much as I thought it was solid, I didn't love it, and I don't think it's that memorable, but I did get tired of the idea that the IMF has gone rogue and Ethan Hunt is no longer time, got the yeah. support. I'm like, okay, this, blah, 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 I get blah, it. Blah, blah, blah. He's not. Yeah. But great motorbike chase in it. Yes. Uh, really good. Uh, he then, holds his breath for like eight minutes in that movie, Underwater, Tom Cruise. Yeah, you know, like, I, I believe he did it. Yeah. You, know, you know what I do for most, pretty much most scenes that involve Underwater? I, I hold my breath and see if I can hold my breath for as long as the character's Underwater. Okay. That includes cutting between other scenes okay. that are happening. So if he goes under, I go... <gasps> Okay. And I'll see if I can do it. I never well, can. I'm, good on you. How immersive is that? <laughs> yeah. Good on you. This is not first time watching. This is second time. Oh, okay. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm not in the cinema. Going, <gasps> James passed out about halfway through. <laughs> yeah. We have to get some lifeguards in the cinema. The <laughs> Blue in the face. Okay. And then they upped the ante and went for Mission Impossible Fallout, which I, again, really, that was when the Mission Impossible had like a statement of intent. It was Henry, like Henry Cavill um, cocking his yep, shotgun arms. Reloading his arms. Yep. Moustache that caused the famous Justice League. Yep. Botched, mishap. Uh, mishap. Uh, Alec Baldwin's in it. Angela Bassett. They bring back the same villain again. And they bring back his wife from three. Yeah. Who's actually was was in a scene in four or five. Yeah. Or she's, so, yeah. so she's like the main Michelle plot in three. Who, I have a story about her. Okay. Uh, which I guess I'll have to tell now because I've brought it yeah. up. Why the, why, <laughs> no, uh, it's just that Mich Michelle Monaghan, you know, lovely actress, good actress. Um, uh, I was on a flight to New York five years ago and I watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. With, oh, yeah. Have you seen that? With no. Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer. I know and, and she's in it. And actually so much more fun than I remembered. It was really good fun. And oh. she's in it. A lot. Shane, Shane Black? That's it. Yeah. She's in it. And anyway, <clears throat> three days later, I'm sat in Central Park 
and I'm by the you know the sailboat pond, mm. and I've got my legs out. You know, I'm, I'm six foot four, so my legs are yeah. stretched. Anyway, this toddler on this like little tiny scooter just comes and runs. You know, could drive straight into my legs. Not uh, painful. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, rom com. <laughs> I was like getting litigious. Like, I, I will sue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but um, and immediately this child's mother comes along and goes, "Oh, I'm so sorry about that." And it's Michelle Monaghan. Michelle Monaghan. Wow. It's just I'm so weird. sorry. And I was like, "That's not a problem." I was just so British. I was like, "That is not a problem at all." Did Don't you show her any face that you knew? Or you no, of course not. She, she's yeah. in the park with her child. No, no, no. Around. I'm not saying did you say anything, but did you? give an impression like you knew who she was no no i just Does was, she know that you no, know i didn't i didn't want to let that on either because then she might get self-conscious i was just yeah. like no it's like oh okay no problem at all but i was like, i knew yeah. i knew i knew who she was and uh, it's creepy when you've been watching someone and then you see them in real life and it's very like oh, oh yeah, yeah that sentence does sound creepy yeah <laughs> anyway so that's that's the mission Impossible sequels and then we've got oh, seven and eight filmed back to back coming up oh have they done with, so um, yeah well, well I, mean, I think that was the plan maybe before covid but you know Hayley atwell and sure Bonk and, and yeah I've, i don't really have a problem with them coming out if they're high quality i think they've i think they've in craig's era of bond which i enjoy for the good ones they've taken the place of that they, they as if pierce brosnan kept going a right. little bit they've kept the silliness and the yeah. scale and let Daniel Craig do the series. I feel like the Mission Impossible films are the thinking man's Fast and Furious films. Sure. But also by this point, Mission Impossible said, this is the kind of film we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to really commit to the stunts. Tom's going to go crazy on He's it. He's going to hang gonna, on to the end of a yeah, plane. We'll like... keep upping it. And, and you know what? It's I almost find like quite honest filmmaking. They're like, this this is what we're giving you. Tom Cruise is going to hang on to the side of the thing. Yeah. Are you going to be there for that? And you turn up and they do deliver. You can't argue that they I don't. I thought the Dubai hanging off the side of a building <laughs> in the, off the Burj Khalifa was brilliant. Yeah. And the fact that you knew it was not, yeah, he was actually hanging there was just nuts. The only thing that winded me up about the, was when they really wound thought. Yeah. The only thing that wound, yeah. <laughs> wound me up. Wound me um, up about the Mission Possible Fallout was that, they, again, they really forced the world building. And there was a bit, you know Vanessa Kirby's in Mission yes, Possible Fallout? yeah. And she's just in it, and she's just a character, okay, this sort of arms dealer. And then, like, in the press tour, like, two weeks later after the film came out, she was like, yeah, I'm actually the granddaughter, my character's actually the granddaughter of Vanessa Redgrave's character in the first Mission Impossible, who's the arms dealer. Yeah, and I'm like, I no, that. because there's absolutely no mention of that in the film. There's no hint of that in the film. There's no, just, you right. can't tack that on afterwards to get people to watch it. It's a bit of Maxine, intrigue. Maxine, Maxine. Yeah, you know, yeah. Ma yeah, she plays the arms dealer Max. God, that is a very wordy sequence in the first film. Yeah, yeah but, sorry, and but also, like, what, what, what a completely bolted on, hammered in throwback. Right. Like, yeah, but it, I just, I was just like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, really cool helicopter sequence in Fallout when he's like, oh. them trying to get an angle. And yeah. And Henry Cavill's doing the Henry Cavill. And just thing. a great bathroom fight scene. Yeah, I love really bathroom hear those fight punches. Scene. More bathroom fight scenes. Anyway, so there's the sequels. Oh, um, that's it. That's yeah. it for now. And uh, I'm sure we'll play this game again. But so, James, in short, wow. What are the what, if if you're talking to a director who's making a sequel to yeah. a very famous film, either straight after it or 20 years later? What are your tips? My, my main thing is if you're going to do this, you know, 10 plus years later, really think: A, does the audience still want this and is it going to ruin what do, like do the characters make sense to do this and b should you maybe consider using the time frame that's elapsed as a tool for making your sequel more mm. effective in the way that i don't think incredibles 2 or monsters mm. university or toy story 4 did mm. but the way films like t2 train spotting mm. and i don't know what else it was that we said that worked yeah, well, Blade like, Runner 2049. Blade Runner tonight and if you're really lucky you can do an anchorman and just pick up where you left off mm. and, and get it right and yeah. just... okay thanks very much i guess we'll have to see when it gets to matrix 4 oh yeah till next time <laughs> <laughs>